This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is brought to you by Fisher Skis. This is the Out of Bounds Podcast. My name is Adam Jabber, and we're back for another episode. Um, Ian Boswell is our guest today. Ian is a retired pro or world tour pro cyclist and is now just a regular pro cyclist. Um, He won Unbound Gravel about a month ago now, um, which is a huge gravel race, uh, 200 miles, gravel train in Emporia, Kansas, um, and uh, is uh, turning into a gravel guy, big gravel guy. Um, as it seems like as of late, but I'm sure he's been doing it for a minute. Um, we talk about Vermont life. We talk about what retirement in air quotes has looked like. We talk about unbound, uh, Wahoo and the work that he does there. We talked about all kinds of stuff. He was kind enough to have me up at his place. Um, and, uh, hung out with some chickens, his dog and did an interview in, uh, in some beautiful Vermont weather, which actually we haven't had in, uh, probably, probably since that interview. So, um, once again, thank you to Ian. Um, if you, uh, have more interest in Ian and what he does and what he has done, I'll include some information on him in the show notes below. Um, but he's been great and I, uh, I can't thank him enough for chatting with me. Um, and I'm not sure what the status is on Peachum Fondo. Um, but if you are interested, that is an, an event that he and his wife put on, um, in Peachum, Vermont. So, um, I checked the registration status on that, uh, see if you can still get in there. Um, it's open the whole nine. If you're interested, that is one that he does. So, um, hope you guys enjoy this episode. Before I jump into it, I just wanted to say a quick thank you to a couple of our sponsors. The first of which is a brand new sponsor in Rootworks. Um, yes, Rootworks, the bag that I've been kind of chewing everybody's ear off about on Instagram. Uh, it's the most beautiful bag that I've seen in a while. It And yes, I'm just talking about a handlebar bag. It is not you know, the end of the world or the beginning of a new one. Um, but it's a very cool bag. Uh, your computer mounts right into the hard case on the top. It is removable from the little mounting plate on your handlebar. Super quick, little quick release bit on and off. Um, holds a bunch of stuff. And, uh, and I cannot tell you, uh, enough. It is the best bag that exists, uh, for handlebars right now, period. Um, you can attach a light to it. It comes with little knobs. You can attach a light to the side, um, it's it's really the best. I'm not even like, I, I don't think it's even close. Um, you can get one at rootworks.com, follow Rootworks on Instagram, and uh, we may have a code for you in the future, but we do not have one at this point. So if you'd like to buy a Rootworks bag, all you got to do is just go to rootworks.com. We'll make it really easy and just let the nice people at Rootworks uh, know we sent you. Um, you can plug it in the order notes and let them know that there's value in what we do. Um, but that being said, obviously there's value. Those bags are sick. Like, I mean, they are me telling you is the ad they do all the work like it is actually the best so check out rootworks it is r-o-u-t-e-w-e-r-k-s dot com and you can uh, check that stuff out there's a link in the show notes as well um also wanted to talk about blizz eyewear blizz eyewear has been a supporter of the show for a while now and they're the best i mean they're really so great they have multiple different frame options lens options and they all are interchangeable within style so like I was running the cotton candy teal on the bottom, pink on top style glasses before. You can switch that up and you can do the opposite. You can do black on the bottom and pink on the top, which is what I'm running now. Um, Lenses are all interchangeable. Stuff is really, really cool. Good value for your money. Lens quality is insane. Um, So you can check out Blizz Eyewear um, on the internet, just blizzeyewear.com or at enjoywinter.com. Um, enjoysummer.com. That is the distribution company in the U.S. Um, you can use promo code out of bounds 30 um, for 30% off and free shipping and as well as a gift. Like they'll give you a little gift. They'll throw in some swag in the box. If you go to enjoywinter.com, out of bounds 30, out of and bounds are all capitalized. Okay. I know that's one extra step. Your brain's got to think about it a little bit, but that is a thing. So um, I hope you guys check some of the Blizz stuff out. The stuff is awesome. If uh, nothing else, give them a follow on Instagram and say, hey, saw you on Out of Bounds, and I think your glasses are cool. Okay? Cool. Um, new episodes with Adam X are coming out on Wednesdays. Um, he's been absolutely killing it. He's been 10 times more efficient and consistent 
um, than me, but I will be back on it soon. I've got a bunch of episodes lined up, so you will see consistent Tuesday episodes coming from me as well, including next week when we have Claire Chapman um, and Sarah on. So um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode with Ian Boswell. Be sure to leave a review and like, subscribe, and follow the podcast on Instagram. Blah, 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 blah. Enjoy the episode at Out of Podcast on social media. That's my last plug for the day. Ian Boswell. Bye. Tell people who you are, a little bit about yourself, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. Um, my name is Ian Boswell. I'm now 30 years old, which seems uh, crazy. I grew up in Bend, Oregon, and now live in Peachum, Vermont. I was a professional uh, road cyclist from, I guess, in the world tour from 2013 until the beginning of 2020, at which point I stopped racing road bikes um, largely due to just a couple crashes and a concussion. I now am an employee at Wahoo Fitness and race gravel bikes. Um, cool. Yeah, I guess internationally now. <laughs> now, now, the, now the travel's open, I'm able to, I'm able to travel. Um, um, yeah. Your first gravel race was pretty recently, right? Like, or like, or the first one, I guess, in a while, because I was, I've listened to a couple podcasts that you've done and you're kind of like talking about like not knowing what tires to run and how it's like a, a different experience than like racing on a pro tour. Like how, yeah. how is it different? Like talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I was I was meant to do, you know, kind of the 2020 gravel season. And right before I was supposed to head to Mid-South, which is kind of the first big race of the year. Um, yeah, the pandemic struck and I decided to yeah. not jump on the flight. And turns out I didn't race again for the rest of rest of the year, which is actually nice to have so much time at home in one place after a life of, of traveling and living out of a suitcase. Yeah. Um, so I finally got a chance this spring to race at Rule of Three down in Bentonville, Arkansas. Um, yep. was my first gravel race, gravel race, and I think that was two or three weeks before Unbound. Yep. Um, which is you know kind of the premier gravel race on the calendar. So yes, I'm still very much. I'm not new to cycling, but it's amazing right. how different the discipline of gravel is from road. Just you know the equipment side, and you know being on a professional road team, you know you being driven around Europe in a bus and you have, you know, someone yeah. moves your suitcase from hotel to hotel and you have mechanics and chefs and, you know, you're very pampered and looked after. Yeah. And gravel is like very much back to basics, which yeah. like reminds me of like when I was 12 years old and first started racing road bikes, you know, you're making your breakfast, you're jumping in the car, driving to the start, pumping up your tires. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of that a lot, just in like the essence of it, but yeah. there's a lot of equipment that I'm still learning you know tire pressure and yeah. you know different tires for different courses and all these courses in gravel are so different you know there's very few road races that you would swap that much equipment you know your tires are usually the same you know you're gonna run the same tire on 99 percent of the races you do in a season right but gravel races it's like every race you might want a different tire and so for people who have been doing it a while and know the courses and tires they've used it's an advantage definitely to you know kind of know what your setup is and i'm still very much trying to just figure out like what's the best tire for a specific race and you know where you know what kind of pressure you're going to use and there's all these other dynamics of like you know do you wear a hydration pack or do you not which is questions in the road in the road world you never had to think of you know it's, it was yeah. i guess maybe I'd, in a way it almost become an expert in road cycling you know i knew kind of the routine i wasn't ever nervous because you just you know the process for sure but, but gravel is so different that you know constantly just learning and kind of figuring out how it works what's kind of been the biggest surprise so i mean we'll talk a little bit about unbound i don't want to like break that down too much because i feel like you've probably done that ad nauseum at this point and it's only been a few weeks but you won unbound uh the 200 a couple weeks or i guess it's a month ago or whatever yeah. now um what's what's been the most surprising thing to you other than like the new feeling of racing gravel in general um what's i guess what's surprising um, I'm honestly, I'm surprised that I won is <laughs> a big surprise. Um, I guess just the, I mean, well, I was incredibly surprised at how big gravel racing is. That really blew me away. You know, having done, you know, big races internationally that are, you know, prestigious and have been, you know, they're internationally known on TV and, you know, newspapers from around right. the world cover them. Um, and to be at a race in Emporia, Kansas, and to win, yeah. and then realize how much attention was drawn from that, like that blew me away. Yeah. Um, and I knew there was like a growing, you know, there's a growing thirst for gravel racing, but just how big it was blew me away. And and on the, on the racing side, I guess what's been so nice is the 
you know, the communal feel of races where, you know, and it is becoming faster and it's becoming more professional in a sense where people are pursuing gravel as a full-time career and, you know, kind of race career. Um, but just how, you know, willingness the front riders were to like race together and race yeah. you know, kind of collectively for, you know, speed rather than individual results. And there wasn't much or any at all kind of, you know, sometimes in, in cycling you get these tactical, you know, maneuvers, you know, because drafting is such a big advantage, you know, you can draft and save a lot of energy so you can kind of sit on. But um, the fact that everyone, more or less everyone just wants to ride and like ride fast and hard. And that's so cool to see. And it's such a big difference from from road racing where, you know, the tactical game is almost as, you know, impactful as the physical game. And it seems like gravel. It's like, all right, let's all just let's all just rip it and and see who, who can yeah. go the longest. Yeah, it's weird. I almost, uh, like looking back on it five, six years ago, I almost thought that gravel was going to be a fad. Like I thought it was going to die out and it wasn't going to be, a. Fr- it just felt like, oh, this is a hardtail mountain bike. Yeah. But with drop bars or it felt like a road bike with wide tire. You know, it didn't feel like its own category, but now it's really, especially like in the last couple of years, it's really grown into its own thing. And like you said, like people are making full on careers out of this now. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's crazy. And, you know, I think and I think still much, the, very much the sport and like the, the, the pointy end of the race is still kind of figuring it out as we go. Um, but the same with, you know, same with the industry, you know, they're yeah. figuring out what gravel bikes look like now is so different than what gravel bikes looked like in 2015. Totally. You know, tires are going bigger and, you know, the, the specialized diverge I have has, I can put 47 C tires on, which like, yeah. and has 20 mils of travel in the front, you know, That's, it's like, yes. it's not that much different than my first mountain bike. And I just got back from Kenya uh, a couple of days ago, actually, and did the migration gravel race. And it was, it tested my knowledge of what gravel riding was. Cause yeah. it was not, it was like, it was a mountain bike race and there was single track, and, <laughs> but still a gravel bike was probably the fastest bike. You know, there were so many times when I wish I had yeah. a mountain bike, but still a gravel bike was faster. And it's, you know, for a while, the kind of the similarities between a road bike and a gravel bike were very kind of, they were super similar. It's like, well, I could almost ride my road bike but the direction in which the events are going is almost pushing gravel bikes to become more similar to, you know, a hardtail mountain bike yeah, rather than, you know, a road bike. And, and again, the courses change, you know, but right. you know, something like Unbound, you need a gravel bike, but I've heard I'm going to Belgium all for riding a couple of weeks and people are like, oh, you can ride a road bike, hmm. um, which is kind of the cool thing about, you know, the discipline is there, the courses vary so much. And this kind of goes back to, you know, tire selection. You know, there's, there's a lot of yeah, different isn't tires. Isn't that weird though, yeah. that like tire selection is really breaking down, like how potentially how well you'll do in an event because like it's that much different Yeah, race to race. Yeah. Well, I posted a picture a couple of days ago, or maybe it was yesterday about the tires I was going to use. And I got, you know, some people are like, oh yeah, that's a great tire. It's really sandy. <laughs> and other people are like, if you want to win, you better put on a road tire. And I was like, oh geez, I just put like sealant in and like, you know, swap my tires. Yeah. I'm like, do I really want to swap them back? But you know, it also really depends on your your skills as well, which is a cool aspect of gravel cycling. It's like I'm technically not that great, um, so maybe I want to run a bigger tire. So during those technical sections, which are my weakness, I can hang with the, the you know guys who excel there. And then you know on the road where it's like fast and open, where I tend to struggle less. You know I'm at a disadvantage, but hopefully I'm still with that group yeah. of people after the the technical section. So it's really kind of picking your equipment also based off of your strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. And how much, I guess, how much do you put into that yourself and how much are like, say your sponsors, like, okay, these are what we would recommend for you. And like, how much decision-making are you personally doing in that? I mean, personally, I'm doing all the decision-making Yeah. Um, at the moment. Yeah. And it's, it's also, you know, kind of going back to that communal feel of gravel. It's also like just texting my competitors, yeah, you know, texting Payson and like, Hey, what size tires are you riding? I've never, yeah. you know, I've never ridden in Arkansas or, you know, speaking to, to Strickland cause we're both, you know, riding the specialized tires. Like, Hey man, like what tire did you use in 20, that's great. You know, in 2019 when you won. And then he's like, yeah, I use this one. Um, which is cool that there's still that like, you know, openness of, of sharing information. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure road racing is not the same in that regard. No, there's more of a sense of, I don't want to say secrecy, but it's like you keep your cards close it's always, to your chest. Yeah, it's always know, felt and, like that. Like, yeah. as a watcher, you kind of, everything seems like, a, and I mean, I don't know, road racing is road racing, I guess, and there's a lot of things that kind of were actually secretive for so many years, I think, that it, 
you know, obviously it gives off that feeling. But gravel does seem more communal. It seems like people are just like excited to go out there and do the event. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it is very transparent, and it's it's yeah. it's good to see also that the athletes that are at the front are willing to like share their information because you know there's always new again there's new equipment coming out all the time and you know if that can trickle down to you know the the recreational cyclists out there doing a you know huge gravel ride they're gonna have a better time if you know they know what what equipment to use yeah and I think the the trickle down is much quicker in gravel than it is in professional road you know it's it you know some of the equipment that professional road riders are using it takes you know sometimes a while before it kind of becomes available right. to consumers and gravel it's like hey we've launched a new bike and you know anyone can buy it and yeah. you know our athletes are on it but it's uh it's a it's a closer connection between the top and you know the bottom yeah no i think i think that's great i really i really do and so i want while we're on the gear topic i guess you work for wahoo um full-time is that right yeah what exactly do you do for Wahoo? Well, I do a podcast okay. like this. Uh, yeah, I do the Breakfast with Boz podcast. And I also, I guess my most of my time is spent on working with our athletes. So I'm an athlete, okay. I work, you know, an athlete liaison. Um, so not just with, you know, cyclists, but we have triathletes and runners and, and gravel cyclists and world tour teams, um, so, you know, managing those relationships. And it's yeah. very much a position that's like, you know, there's a lot happening or that's, you know, it's like up and down, you know, yeah. like everything's fine. No one needs anything. And then, you know, all of a sudden a team's going to a race and they need equipment or products or, you know, they're doing content. Um, so I spend a lot of time doing that. And I also work a little bit with like the sports science team and, and the Sufferfest and doing some, some projects for them. Yep. Um, so yeah, I wear many different hats and, you know, get pulled into little side projects as well, but it keeps me, keeps me plenty busy. And I've, you know, learned a tremendous amount over the last, I guess, year and a half, you know, working my first real job since yeah since ever yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) do you like it I guess that's so that's not the question I was going to lead with but like I actually genuinely want to do you like doing do you like dealing with athletes I guess um I I do yeah I mean I I, and I guess I would say I pride myself a bit on like having good relationships with our athletes and also seeing the perspective of an athlete Um, and I think that's kind of what Wahoo saw when I you know I was offered the position is you know they have they've had various people, you know, kind of manage athletes and there's still other people in different markets that, that look after athletes. Um, but really understanding the athlete and kind of what they need and what they want. Yeah. Um, you know, and also I have, you know, a relationship with, with a lot of them. So yeah, yeah, there's a mutual respect and, you know, I try to be friends with everyone that I'm working with and keep it, you know, keep it civil. And yeah. Yeah. So I, I really enjoy those relationships that I build. Um, you know, I have never been someone who's good at technology, so sometimes I struggle when it comes, you know, Excel sheets or PowerPoint or yeah. or whatnot. Um, but yeah, it's like it's been a very educational, you know, year and a half having been there, and in many ways, you know, Wahoo's been great about not, you know, understanding that I also didn't go to college and I don't have a, you know, a degree in, you know, yeah, marketing. Yeah, but still, so like that's like you have to be invaluable to them in that sense because like dealing with athletes isn't always super easy but when you are an athlete like yourself like they're talking to someone who they know gets it you know I feel like that's a very different position than like if I go there and like hey I'm a recreational cyclist like here's my opinion on what you should be you know like it's it's a very different thing yeah that does probably help and yeah like I said there's there's times you know when you know sometimes I wear the hat of the athlete right rather than you know always wearing the hat of the company I'm like you know, sometimes I'm like, hey, I think we should actually do this, or I think yeah. we should, you know, give this athlete what they want because I think they're going to perform, or you know, yeah. just their their you know position in the sport. Um, so yeah, just being you know having that history as a as a rider, you know, it's it's makes it easier to kind of understand some of the the requests or odd, you know, odd inquiries that come in from from athletes, and also being timely. You know, and that's one of the things that, you know, I I have partners of my own that I work with. Um, and so just making sure that I'm there for our athletes when they need it, you know, not, yeah. you know, they need a replacement part or, you know, a yeah. new product. And it's like, you know, make sure you get it to them as soon as possible. Cause I know how frustrating it can be and how busy yeah. your life is when you're trapped. You know, I got back from Kenya a couple of days ago, I'm going to Oregon and I'm going to San Diego. So it's like, if I need some new tires, like where do I send them? You know, if, yeah. I, if they get back to me in two days, well, they need to go to Oregon. If they get back to me in a week, <laughs> then they're going to have to go to California, you know? So it's like being, yeah. you know, responsive enough to like, cool, how can we, you know, understanding the athlete's lifestyle and making sure you can look after them as, as quick as possible. How much are you designing your, your own travel schedule at this point? Because like that sound just what you mentioned now 
sounds hectic, right? Like, and yeah. I imagine like racing on a pro tour is also very hectic, but they have to be different, right? Like how so? Yeah. Well, I mean, at a world tour team, again, like they, everything's taken care of. The right. teams have travel agents and, you know, an e-ticket comes in your email and you, know, and you just show you, up, you show up and someone picks you up at the airport on the other end. Yeah. Um, you know, I still haven't done that many gravel events, you know, so I was at, you know, rule of three and I had a friend down there, actually a colleague who was there and he had a car. So I was able to get around and unbound, you know, we had a team of folks from Wahoo who were there on the kind of the supporting side of the event and, you know, doing an expo. Yep. So they were able to help and, and get me around. And that's another one of the benefits of being at Wahoo is that, you know, most of the events I attend are, you know, events that we sponsor. So we're going to have, you know, some, some other employees at the event, which is great for me because you yeah. know, someone's, you know, I'll book my flight and travel, but more often than not, you know, we'll have a, a car that the company's rented, um, you know, and someone even at Unbound, you know, a colleague from Wahoo is like, he was the guy who decided to do my pit zones or the, the aid station. So it's nice to have that benefit of not having to think of like, okay, do I need to fly someone out or do you try to hire someone locally? Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, I book my own flights and I actually really enjoy like logistics of, of travel and figuring stuff out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's been different than a world tour team, but I mean, I also can more often than not kind of pick the flights that I want. I can also fly on one airline, which is nice. So yeah. I can actually accumulate miles because yeah. before they're booking you on, you know, Air France and then JetBlue and EasyJet and yeah, Air, you, Ryanair. You and, yeah. yeah. And it's like, well, I have no points anywhere, but I've flown, yeah. you know, a hundred thousand <laughs> miles this year. That's really funny. I guess you never think about that. Like looking at, looking at it from the outside. And I, I think especially right now, like people are focused on this kind of thing because it's, I, to me, it feels like the tour is really hot this year and like people are into road riding right now and, and getting out. And I guess people just don't think about all the things that go into being, like in that situation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's a, I mean, there's just so much that happens around a, you know, a world tour team might have 25 when I was at Ineos, I think we had, you know, 28 riders and I think we had like 130 people total in the <laughs> so team. Crazy. So most of the people are staff and, yeah. you know, logistics and, you know, drivers and chefs. And it's, uh, it's amazing how, I don't want to use the word bloated in a bad way, but yeah. how big teams have gotten. Yeah. That's know, nuts. The infrastructure that that's behind them. Um, you know, cause it wasn't that long ago that you would show up with, you know, two team cars and all the riders would sit in the back and now, you know, there's buses and food trucks and it, it's grown a lot, which has made the sport more professional. And that's, you know, a large reason why people are going faster. It's just become more yeah. optimized. Um, but yeah, gravel is still very grunge, which is, which is cool to see. That's what makes it cool. I think right now that's yeah. like part of it for sure is like, it's everybody that does gravel rides is kind of in the know. Um, anyway, the thing I wanted to ask you about working with Wahoo is like it, obviously last year there was a huge cycling boom like tons of people buying bikes people getting out there it doesn't feel like it's that much busier to me as far as like seeing people out on the road seeing people buy like because i remember like i own a shop and being in the shop we were like okay we're selling a million bikes like what are we going to do and even now product is a huge issue to get for a lot of companies but it doesn't feel like things have really blown up i guess in the way that maybe we all thought they would and maybe they have and i I don't know. I guess I'm kind of just trying to get your take on what yeah. what you guys, both at Wahoo and yourself, like what you yeah. think of what's going on. I mean, yeah, at Wahoo, we've seen a huge uptick Bump. in just products. Um, yeah. And I guess the biggest thing was last year, trainers, you know, the kicker. Yeah, okay. You know, and because, you know, also the company, like anyone, would forecast like, okay, people aren't going to be buying trainers or as many through the summer months because they're riding outside. Right. But, you know, the pandemic kind of struck right as like trainer supply was like cool it's you know february yeah, march people, people aren't going to be buying something to train inside and i think so many people did start riding inside and yeah. you know doing you know virtual racing or indoor training plans um which was you know probably the biggest growth because especially at first there was like a lockdown you know people weren't yeah riding outside or you know especially in the cities they people were, were staying preparing inside. to like hunker down yeah so i think there's a huge percentage of people who have you know invested in cycling equipment and are you know, riding indoors. Yeah. Um, I've noticed here locally just how many more people have started riding again or, you know, rediscovered a bike, but not necessarily, I mean, you drove to our house. It's pretty rural. Yeah. Um, not a lot of people on like $10,000 <laughs> gravel yeah, bikes. Yeah. You know, they've pulled a mount, like an old mountain bike out of their garage. And right. They're, just, they're riding around. Um, but the hunger and thirst for events is still there. You know, yeah. you've just seen how quickly events are selling out already this year. Oh yeah. It's yeah. pretty, it's pretty wild to see just how, how fast things are going. You know, my wife and I organized a gravel event that we canceled last year and um, we're opening up registration here in a couple of days and I'm like, nice. it's probably going to go pretty quickly. What's Just it called? The Peachum Fall Fondo. Oh, nice. So yeah, it's here in Peachum, September 25th. Um, 
thought you were going to say October but, 16th, and I was going to be like, isn't that the day that they're doing Rasputitza and yeah, they're doing yeah, Hibernator at the same yeah. time and like five other yeah, events? Yeah, well, I mean, and that's, I mean, that's another thing with, with gravel events is, you know, there used to be a relatively kind of clear calendar of races. Right. But there's so many races now that are overlapping, and, you know, you could do, you know, 50 races a year if you wanted to drive <laughs> around and do them all. Um, but that's also what, kind of what I am hoping to continue to do is doing, you know, some of the key races, doing some fun races like what I just did in Kenya, but not being gone 10 months of the year, you know, racing. Yeah. And, you know, it's easy. It e- is becoming easier to just go to every single race. Yeah. But, um, and that could potentially, I guess, looking at it, you know, be a factor of like drawing the sport, bringing it down a bit, you know, like if, if there's, if it's saturated with too many events, yeah. then, you know, what is the prestige of it? I mean, I guess if races are selling out, then. You know, it just means more people are riding, but yeah, I mean, I don't know that it's going to get to that point. Just at least not yet. I don't think because like we've D2R2 ne- near us and like, yeah. that's a really popular one that sells out every year normally anyway, but it's like the interest is, is there. And like, people are like, people start freaking out about that as soon as registration drops, like, you know, a year in advance sometimes, yeah. you know, it's, it's very odd to see, I guess it's like. I don't know. It's I don't know if you're like into sneakers or anything like that, but like you know, Nike has the sneakers app, right? Like they drop a shoe and it's gone within five yeah. seconds. It feels like that same kind of like like exclusivity, I guess, yeah. um, to some of these gravel events. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and you're probably familiar with the VTXL course. Yep. Yeah. So that literally passes right here on the road behind you. That's awesome. Um, when they designed it. Ted King was coming from northern Vermont and like stopped at my house and I rode with him for 60 miles or something. Um, but we have two structures out back that we rent um, for hip camp. And it's really? amazing how many bike packers we've had come this year. I mean, had none prior. Huh. You know, Joe Cruz did an article on, I think, bikepacking.com yeah. about it and put our, you know, our spot as a, you know, place to stay. Right. But it's been crazy to see how many people are. I've noticed a lot more people bikepacking recently. Compared huh. to years past, whether they're doing the VTXL course or, you know, cross Vermont trail. Yeah. Um, and again, a lot of people just on like very, you know, basic bikes that they decided like, Hey, instead of, you know, going on a, a trip to yeah. overseas, let's do a trip across Vermont. So I've seen, I've seen that growth, um, which is cool to see. Cause you know, it's so fun to hear people's bike pack stories. Cause they're oftentimes, you know, yeah, sometimes people, yeah, yeah, a mess. And yeah, there was actually a group that stayed here a couple of weeks ago and the guy's like, yeah, my, my cassette's making a lot of noise. And I took his cassette off and I was like, going to help him with it. And all of his bearings in his free cover, like <laughs> literally like cut in half. And he's like, I'm like, I cannot fix this. <laughs> like, you're going to need to go to a bike shop because this is a little bit over my head and I don't yeah. have any spa- spare bearings. Um, so it's been cool to like just have those encounters with people, yeah. you know, who, who are often, you know, probably not prepared for the VTXL, but they're still, they're still giving it a go, which is awesome. I think that's why, yeah, that, that is why it's really cool in a lot of ways, I think. And I have seen a lot more people, I guess. So I guess I should like almost rephrase the way that I'm like looking at this. Cause I'm looking at it from like the mountain bike side of thing. And like people were complaining when people were buying bikes, or at least, you know, you see the few negative comments out of the hundred positive comments for sure, where people are like, Oh, uh, the trailheads are too crowded now. There's too many people out on. And it's just like, I, I just don't see it that way it doesn't seem like it's been the same in that regard but as far as people taking bigger trips and going on bikepacking trips and going and trying to be like okay i'm gonna go do a big event it seems like that has grown a yeah. shit ton you know yeah. like it really seems like that's blowing up yeah and, and that's kind of what you see with these gravel events i mean how far people travel to races now it's it's yeah. wild and yeah i mean it's uh it's gonna grow i mean it'll, it'll be interesting to see kind of where the the roof is on, yeah. on gravel. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't see it slowing down anytime soon just because, you know, it is such a broad spectrum of people who participate, which is, you know, in many ways so different than road racing where, you know, you kind of need to be at a high level to just enter rather than yeah. gravel is so participatory that, you know, people are like, hey, I'm going to do it with my dad or my daughter. Yeah. Um, maybe not unbound, but maybe they'll do the 50 mile or, you know, a lot of the events here in Vermont, they have a totally know, a 60 mile loop and a 30 mile loop and, you know, right. some friends will sign up together and train for it and, and participate almost more kind of like running, you know, like a, you have a local, you know, 5k run at 4th of July or something. Right. Um, gravel's almost kind of a crossover between, you know, running and, and road cycling in the sense that it is very open for people to to come in without having this huge level of experience. Yeah, it, it feels like people just go, and we'll cut off from gravel in a second because I feel like people are going to kill us for just talking about gravel <laughs> for the first 20 minutes. But I, I do feel like it's like 
people just go out there and they're like, all right, I'm doing this event, whether I'm ready or not. Same thing with like, like you said, like a 5k because they'll just go out and they'll have a beer after and they'll yeah. have a beer before the night and they're like checking out the town that they're staying in. And it, it actually like brings people into town. And I think in a lot of ways, like mountain bike races and road races, sometimes uh, other than the really big ones, it seems like you're just, you're in there for the event and you're out, you know, yeah. like that's all it is. Yeah. Um, but it, it's very different in that respect. Yeah, no, I'd agree. And yeah, especially when you see where a lot of the, these events are held, they are in small towns and like the impact financially to a community is so big, which is cool to see that, you know, towns that otherwise have a hard time driving revenue or tourism dollars are able to kind of capitalize on, you know, because most of the gravel roads aren't in big cities. They're in rural, small towns, which makes yeah. it so much you know easier for them to host an event, but has such a bigger impact on the community to to have something. And, you know, 5,000 people roll into Emporia, Kansas for yeah. a random weekend in June. You know, it's something and otherwise they wouldn't And it seems like they're have. so excited to have you guys there. Yeah. Like, it seems like they're actually really, like, versus sometimes you do a local event and they're just like, what are all these people doing here? Yeah. Like, they don't necessarily understand. But Emporia, at least from all the video that you see, and I'm sure you just see the highlights, but... It seems like they're thrilled to have everybody in town yeah. for that week. Yeah, I mean, it means such it means so much to these small communities. Even with with our event last year, yeah. you know, the state of Vermont had pretty strict guidelines on people entering, and our, you know, the town was like, "Come on, you, is there a way we can have this event?" And I'm like, "Guys, like, sixty percent of our Ow. registration yeah. is like out of state. Like, you know, yeah. we can't we can't like have just just Vermonters come." So yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it does mean a lot for these communities. Can I can I ask you about mountain bike racing a little bit? I yeah. Are you, do you have any interest in mountain bike racing? I feel like of the three sectors, it's like mountain biking is the one that's cool, right? It's like, it's the cool thing that kids do, I guess. And like, it's the first thing that everybody seems to get into, but mountain bike racing, at least, especially on the men's side of thing, doesn't seem as exciting. Uh, why do you think that is? It, and I, yeah. And part of it, I'm sure is like, you know, is you know, wins all the time and yeah. the XCO is just not the same. It's yeah. Not as much of an well, I mean, I, I actually grew up mountain bike racing in Oregon before I did much road racing. You know, there was a lot of mountain bike racing. So I did yeah. that for, you know, I don't know, four or five years. Um, but I feel like mountain biking has shifted a lot in what it was to what it is now, especially like you said, for the elite, you know, men and yeah. women's category, I guess people that are trying to go to Tokyo or win the world right. championships. You know, my first mountain bike races were so much fun. It was like everyone's on the start line to almost like a, almost like a gravel race. Right, right. You know, it's like, okay, everyone's on the start line and maybe you're separated. The start line's separated by, you know, pro, elite, yeah, you know, whatever the category Different times or whatever, yeah. yeah. You start like 30-second intervals. Right. But more often than not, it was like a 30-mile loop. Yeah. The first one back wins. And yeah. you watch pro mountain biking race racing now and it seems almost more like cyclocross you know it's like yeah totally 90 minutes like they're coming through pit zones like it's it's changed a lot you know before i think mountain biking i guess maybe now what um endurance mountain bike racing yeah. is they it's almost like an, a, an adventure or a voyage like you're kind of yeah you have to fix your own flats and you know bring your own food and water and yeah you know you don't see anyone in pro mountain biking now an xco with a camelback on or you know no. a, a hydration pack no um so it's it's changed a lot, which I think a lot of people ride mountain bikes, you know, living here and where we do, we're not that far from kingdom trails Yeah, and there's such a big mountain bike community, but there's no race culture, you know, kingdom trails doesn't host no, any races. Yeah, there's no kids races. Um, which is funny that mountain biking has gone in that direction where yeah. it's like, it is very much about the ride and not the race. Yeah. And I'm sure it's different in, you know, different communities. You maybe go to Colorado or California. There's more competitive kind of racing on the mountain yeah. bike. But it's, uh, I mean, the culture is just so different. I mean, it reminds me a lot of, especially up in, up here with Kingdom Trails, it reminds me a lot of, like, ski culture. Yeah, it's totally. Like you ride, you know, you stop and get lunch at, you know, a cafe, and then you get some beers yeah. afterwards, and you hang out, which is cool. Um, but one thing that sometimes, I don't say pushes me away from mountain biking, is, like, I just want to ride. Like, if, yeah. I, if I drive up, you know, 30 minutes yeah. to go mountain bike ride, I want to make sure I ride for more yeah. than I spent drove. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes there's too much of like a hangout culture, which is fun, but it's like, I would love to hang out after we are like tired. And yeah. not, you know, Dude, not I can't before. tell you how many times, like I've just sat in the parking lot for like, you know, an hour and a half. And then, you know, we only did like an hour, hour yeah. long ride, you know, and yeah. it's like, it's so, it, it is, it's very bizarre in that sense. But I think kingdom does a good job at like, there's so much terrain to ride yeah. there, you know, like you can go out and you can spend, I don't know, four or five, six hours there without an issue. Um, and feel like, you know, you're really exploring the place, but yeah. most places are not a kingdom trails type situation, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, w I would love to maybe try some mountain bike races in the future. I don't yeah. know if I would do like a cross country race, but maybe yeah. like a longer kind of adventure type race or, yeah. you know, some endurance mountain bike races. Um, you know, one thing I guess since, and I've noticed this, um, 
well, I guess post I had a crash in 2019 in the spring, which kind of, you know, a concussion that kind of pushed yeah. me to retiring. And I, by that autumn, I went up and rode a day on kingdom trails on my fat bike. Yeah. And it's amazing how much still fatigue I feel from trail riding. Really? Just because, you know, a lot of the symptoms that I had from my concussion were, were yeah. visual um, and like vestibular. So just the the fact that, especially in, in New England, the trails are so crowd like crowded yeah, and, like, like there's tight. trees right yeah. next to you know yeah. where i grew up in bend oregon like the trails are open and fast and it's so different you know smooth yeah um and it was just amazing how fatiguing it was and it's something i still notice even at that rule of three race the last there was like i think 20 miles total of single track but it was all pretty nice you know machine made single track yeah but coming out of that last section realizing just how like mentally tired i was that like turned into physical fatigue just from like myself having to concentrate which is so much harder for me post-concussion than it was prior yeah um you know on, on a gravel race it's it's almost never an issue because the you know your view is so much more broad and you're not focusing on things oh. right next to you but you know I, I have noticed that riding single track and you know <laughs> trails have changed a lot since when i grew up you know yeah. there's a, a trail back home in bend called the whoops yeah it's like I've a downhill yeah fills, yeah but yeah so when i first started mountain biking like that was like a fun trail on a hard day yeah, it was like yeah, these cool yeah. little jumps and like yeah. you could hit all of them and i went back two years ago <laughs> And I was like, if you don't send it, you're screwed. Yeah. Like, you're going like, to yeah. tank oh, it on yeah. the top. It's totally. not like, you know, the people who are riding mountain bikes have taken it to such a level of extreme, not extreme, but like of perfection <sighs> yeah. Yeah. that like in order to hit that jump, you have to take this berm all the way at the top, get all the yeah. speed, you know, and it's like they've, and part of it's because the bikes have gotten so much better. You know, they have so much more travel and suspension's better and, you know, tires have gotten bigger and wider. And yeah, this, sometimes I go back to mountain bike trails, I'm like, this is way different than it's it was. So different. And <laughs> yeah. there's like, yeah, like, I don't know, like we deal a lot with Santa Cruz. So like they have, you know, they have 10 different bikes and they're basically all the same bike with the exception of like the hardtail and the full DH bike. Like there's everything's so fine tuned now when it comes to bikes, like everything is designed to do everything. It's, yeah. it's a very bizarre, it's a bizarre place to be in mountain bike. And I guess I just wonder like what, what is the racing side of things doing wrong? Because it seems like, more people than ever are interested in riding mountain bikes. It's just nobody really cares about the racing side. People want to go and they want to like, they want to hang out. They want to ride. They want to chill for a bit, you know? Yeah. Here comes know. my puppy. Um, How old is he? He is, well, he's about a year at the end of the month. Hi. So. What's his name? Winston. Winston. Yeah. What's up, Winston? Yeah. We can put him inside if we need. No, that's okay. Okay. He's hanging out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, and I don't know why there's not a race. Winston, buddy, come on. <laughs> Let's put you inside. I'll put him inside. Okay. Um, yeah, when I was looking at trying to start even like a youth series here, even yeah. if it was like a weeknight, you know, there's a trail system between our house and St. Johnsbury called the Rankin Trails. And yep. it's community owned. And it's like, I think it's only a mile loop. Um, but just a way to get, because there are so many kids riding mountain yeah. bikes at, you know, at KT. So to get those kids just doing like a weekly night race, because it's fun. And it's totally. like, it really starts with just kids wanting to be you know, out there with their friends and, and yeah. riding fast and you, you know, I don't know, give them an ice cream at the end. And yeah. Stoked. Right. Yeah. That's it. Um, I mean, cause that's what I had growing up. There was like a local weeknight short track race yeah. and, you know, I don't see, you know, there's like, again, there's pockets of kind of race culture. But no, I agree though. I don't think that exists as much. There's not an emphasis of, you know, trying to get kids racing. And I mean, not that everyone who rides bike needs to, needs to race. No. Um, but I grew up in, in a, you know, very much a mindset of like, I wanted to go fast, like as fast yeah. as possible on my bike. Um, so it would be cool to see, you know, more of these small pockets of, you know, mountain bike culture, you know, at least offer racing to, to yeah. kids. Um, but I mean, again, mountain bike culture has changed a lot. You know, a lot of people or young riders that get into mountain biking, they're going to be doing enduro or, or downhill yeah. stuff. Yeah. You know, there's not as much kind of culture on the people who want to do the endurance side of it and the high performance, you know, speed they come into road or gravel yeah but you know there still is you know a huge career to be made in professional xco racing if if you want to choose that yeah yeah um well let's switch gears a little bit here you're a vermonter now well, i I'm guess for the, a year in Oregonian. <laughs> yeah. okay so you've been oh, yeah. here in vermont for four years what what is it like how was the adapting because it's very different i mean you don't live in like you definitely don't live in a city yeah um and like you're not like completely in the boondocks, but you're kind of in the boondocks. Like, yeah. what is it like just being out here in comparison to Oregon, California, like yeah. those kind of places? I mean, the, New England is so different in so many ways. You know, I my wife's from Vermont, so we came out here in 2016 to start like looking for a place, and yeah. I kind of instantly fell in love with it just because you know 
for one, it was much more affordable than, than where I grew up in Bend. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, things, you know, I've always wanted gardens and trees and you yeah. know, everything's green and we don't water the grass. Yeah. Growing up in Bend, it's, it's high desert, you know, it's yeah. like you struggle to like grow a zucchini yeah. and you're watering it all the time and you're, you're spending a ton of money on, you know, your water bill to keep yeah. the grass green. Um, but it, I just, like, I guess I really fell in love with also the, the resourcefulness and the hardiness of the people, especially in, mm. you know, the Northeast kingdom. It's like very much like do it yourself, you know, figure it out. Like there's yeah. times when we've had issues at the house, you know, a pipe broke and I called the plumber and it was like October and they're like, Oh, we can be there in January. I'm like, mm, okay. So I called the neighbor and he's like, you know, sure enough, he's not a plumber, but came over and, you know, helped me with a plumbing project. Huh. So I, I love that I'm constantly learning just like life skills. Yeah. Cause it's something that I avoided a lot being a pro road cyclist. I just wasn't, you know, I didn't have a house of yeah. my own. I wasn't working on stuff. I was just trying to, you know, train and race. Um, but there are just simple things like, you know, rust growing up in Ben, I never had rust on my chain. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't, That's like you never, funny. You I never, never even thought yeah, of that. You never ride in the rain. Your huh. cereal doesn't go stale. You know, there's no mold in anything. Um, but that's just, I mean, the kind of the, the high West. You Wait, know, but your don't. cereal doesn't go stale? Well, cause it's so dry. There's really? No moisture, yeah. I had no idea yeah. that that was a so there's, thing. So <laughs> there's little things like that that like I had to learn like, okay, if you Holy go for a shit. rainy ride here, like you need to come back and you know. Oil your chain because or else it's gonna yeah. it's gonna be rusted in the morning. You know, especially in the winter when I you know fat yeah. bike, um, salting the roads like oh yeah, wreaks it's havoc rough. on a bicycle and <laughs> oh, a yeah. car. Like I mean, yeah. it beats it up. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's been just changes of of learning to live on the East Coast. Um, you know, simple things like ticks. Like my biggest enemy <laughs> ticks. I, I'm so scared of Lyme disease. Dude, I got seven the um, other day on really? a ride. Oh my god, yeah. dude, it is, it's so yeah. brutal right now. It's so brutal. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's little things like that. Um, but I guess I've really come to love the changing of the seasons. You know, yeah. Bend, you know, has summer and winter. Yeah. It has like fall, but it's it's sunny 300 days a year or something. You know, it's a very bright you know place to live. Yeah. Um, but New England, I love the the changing of the seasons, and every season is so distinct and short yeah other than you know the transition seasons seem to you know yeah, february like and, yeah. yeah february march and november seem to drag but you know it's like i'm looking now at our apple trees and like you know come mid-september it's like we're rushed to pick all the apples yeah. and then before you know it you know apples are gone and it's like you're rushed to you know pull the things in the garden and then yeah. you know you're rushed to get your skis ready for winter time and then before you know it you know ski season's over and you're into yeah. you know doing maple syrup and you know, it's constantly changing, you know, compared to living in somewhere like California where the seasons are so similar that your life really ne- never doesn't change that much. Yeah. And New England has so much, the seasons are so distinct that just as you're getting bored of something, it's yeah. over and it's on to the next thing. Yeah. And that's especially living, you know, where we do. That's what I love is, you know, you're constantly being entertained by just the, the changing of, of the seasons and Kind yeah. of always getting ready for the next one. And, you know, I don't know if I have ADHD, but I just love like constantly there being something oh, yeah. new on the yeah. horizon. I can tell you I do for sure. And that definitely is a thing that like I really enjoy. Like it's it's a nice thing. And I guess I never really think about it, but I, I like it a lot being in New England. Like I get the opportunity to travel a decent amount for this show, like all over the country. And people always ask, like, why don't you move to Colorado? Why don't you move to Utah? Because like, I'm a big skier and uh, that's where people just go. They move from mass and they go yeah. to Oregon, they go to Colorado, they go to California, but like, I don't have any real interest. It's like, this is constantly changing and those places are always there. Yeah. And that's kind of how I feel about the whole thing right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are some great places in, I mean, in the world, especially in, in this country, if you're yeah. a skier and stuff, but yeah. it's, uh, I don't know, I guess I'm not someone who always goes against the grain, but Bend, where I grew up, also got really big. Yeah. That's one thing I feel about, you know, especially where we're at. I mean, people are trying to move here, but there's just not many <laughs> houses available. Yeah. You know, they're not building subdevelopments. You know, developments. Um, so it has a sense of, like, kind of being stuck in time, which which I love. And throughout all New England, in a sense, you know, there's, you know, it's an has, of, of you know, the U.S., it probably has the, the longest kind of the history of just, you know, ways of doing things. And, yeah. you know, in Peachum here, we have a, a town meeting once a year where, like, that's where everything's voted on in person. <laughs> and it's just like, is this, like, you know, 1785? <laughs> like, why, why are we doing this still? But it's just, it's tradition and it's culture. And, yeah. you know, things things just change so much slower here. Yeah, if it was somewhere else, I feel like they would have paved all these, you know, like, but, yeah. like, even driving here, it's like, the last few miles is just gravel. And I'm sure for the next few miles or however many miles is just gravel. Like, that doesn't exist in a lot of other places. Yeah. And I think that part of it is is 
like it's fantastic yeah to have that kind of thing here it seems like it's always the same it's always green and it's always or it's always winter i guess i don't know it's, yeah it's a very very bizarre place yeah no and it's i mean i love i love our lifestyle here and i have had the ability to to travel the world and i still every time i get home from the airport and like open the door and just smell like crisp <laughs> cool, cool air and it's quiet like all you hear is you know some birds chirping and it's like oh wow like i yeah. i know why i want to live here yeah it's uh yeah the, the simple things that i think you you enjoy most yeah so kind of as like a wrap up here like what what do you have coming up for your season? What are you looking forward to? I mean, you just got back from Kenya. You just won Unbound. Like that's you got a lot of things already knocked off, I think. But what what's coming up? Yeah, um, a lot. It's a busy summer, especially coming out of last year was the yeah, first Jen. time that I'd ever just spent a summer in one place. Like we took some camping trips. We didn't leave the state of Vermont. Um, yeah, so I'm heading out to Oregon next for to see my family. I haven't been out been out there in a while, and then. Um, down to BWR San Diego, yeah. back here for Rooted Vermont, out to Colorado for SBT Gravel, down to Asheville for BWR Asheville, back to Vermont for Vermont Overland, and then my wife and I put on that event in end of September. So it's a lot of travel. Um, and then I guess a bigger thing that's coming up is my wife's giving birth to oh, our first man. child at the end of December. So we've got some time. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's been kind of fun but also tiring to just be back on the road i forgot yeah. i forgot what it's like to be to be traveling and you know now also working you know so you're trying to balance work with yeah. travel with you know chores at home and, and yeah. whatnot um so it's been a yeah i thought last year was a learning year but it's again a learning yeah. year and how to balance everything do you do you have a plan like i mean you're having a kid that is or you guys are having a kid that's a huge change in your life like have you obviously you've thought about it like how is that going to change what you do i mean obviously you yeah. don't know yeah have you talked to other cyclists that have had kids like wild because i mean you're 30 you're not yeah. old like that's that's a lot yeah it is um we got a dog last year and that was somewhat <laughs> practice i guess in a way um and it'll be interesting to see how it does change, you know, just our, our lifestyle. And, you know, we yeah. hope that, you know, both my wife and I grew up, you know, with families of multiple kids and, you know, didn't necessarily change our parents' lifestyle too much. And we still went camping and biking and, yeah. you know, it didn't, we didn't just, they didn't just stop doing everything. So I think we want to raise our kids in that kind of mat, like manner where it's like, Hey, let's just take them with us. They can, yeah. you know, they can come to these races or, you know, camping trips. Um, but no, I, I'm in the process now of just trying to figure out what next year looks like, you know, yeah. with, with racing, with, you know, having one unbound opened up a lot of doors and opportunities. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, retired from pro racing. So I was like, do you want to go? And I, and gravel is so different than going back to pro. Right. I would never go back to pro road racing. Um, I love it. Love my time there, but you know, I've closed that chapter on, yeah, my, you're on done. my life. Um, so yeah, really just trying to figure out and it's, you know, trying to figure that out while doing all the other things that I'm, you know, yeah. involved with, whether it's, you know, organizing our event or I'm on the local volunteer fire department here. I have a job. Um, so yeah, I guess maybe the thing I'd like to do most is like clean up my plate a little bit, yeah. <laughs> you know, like focus on the things that I really love doing and, you know, continue to, you know, do this while I can. Cause I love, you know, I love riding and traveling yeah. and, and racing and, you know, there is a, a kind of a defined end, you know, you get, older and you get not as quick so yeah making sure i just still do it while i can while being a good father so that's gonna yeah. be the the balance and you really can't prepare for it until until the so baby's here because you i mean people can give you advice and tell you what it's like but you don't know what it's like until <laughs> until, until yeah <laughs> until you have it yeah oh man well good luck man that sounds like a like an undertaking i mean it's it's i'm sure it's gonna be amazing yeah well i'm looking forward to it. it's been a yeah i've always wanted to be a father so well. i'm uh excited to there you go excited to take on that challenge um real quick I, a couple people had questions for you so i'm just gonna yeah. pull those up um okay all right so one of the questions i had uh and i my screenshot has cut out a couple people's names here on on these questions so um was it surprising to you how much media coverage was that unbound yes yeah it was insane just how much it <laughs> how much it was covered and and i guess i didn't fully realize that before i knew it was big but yeah it there was a lot more media attention than i would have expected or that i knew was was there and in many ways you know it's become kind of the, one of the most premier gravel well gravel events in the world but also probably totally. one of the biggest you know cycling events in the u.s with the you know cancellation of tour colorado and tour yeah. california you know it is one of the biggest races out there yeah 
Yeah, it seemed like it was like, like there's that picture of you like sitting in between, like at the end of it, like armband on still and all, and you're just like surrounded by a bunch of reporters. And I guess like even for me looking at that, I was like, like holy shit, like there's actually people there to document this, right? And I feel like that that part doesn't happen that much. Well, and the crazy thing is, you think if you do something like the Tour de France, you have a similar. I mean, there's probably more media at the Tour de France, but. Throughout the day, you're constantly seeing fans and motorbikes and yeah. helicopters, and like you, there's a constant sense of what this event means. Like yeah. you're in the Tour de France, and there's constantly a camera on you, and there's right. people by the side of the roads. And the crazy thing about Unbound is, once you leave Emporia, you, other than you know the two rest stops, which are you know there's people there, but they're not spectators, so they're trying to help the riders. You just like forget where you are. You know, you forget like you're yeah. 100 miles away from Emporia, and there's no one. You don't see anyone on the side of the road for <laughs> yeah. 30 miles. And all of a sudden you get back and there's all these cameras and people and you're like, wait, where did I just yeah, travel to and how yeah. am I back here? You know, it's, which is something like in a road race, you have constantly the sense of what you're doing and where you are and the attention of, you know, TV cameras and, you know, photographers yeah. and, and unbound you from most of the day, you don't see anyone. Yeah. And that's just the, the difference between those two sports. It's crazy. Cause you come back and there's the same cameras in your face and yeah. people wanting to get their shot. Um, but yeah, for so long you're just out there, you know, for a hundred miles it was just five of us riding bikes together. And you yeah. don't realize that this is like, you know, at the finish line there's thirty people <laughs> waiting to take your picture. But right now there's no one and you're just out there riding, which is which is really cool. Yeah. Um, all right, last question. Um uh Mark Nebraska wants to know, uh, best gravel roads in Vermont, where are they? Oh, that's a good question. Um Everybody wants the secrets. There was a couple people actually that had similar. Yeah. There I mean that's one of the really wild things about Vermont is how varied the terrain is. You know, yeah. up here in the Northeast Kingdom, we have awesome gravel roads and the roads that I ride all the time, but the climbs and the views tend to be kind of like more gradual and long. You know, it's yeah. kind of very much like an open landscape. Um, I was down in Tunbridge a couple of weeks ago for an event, the Ranger, and some of the riding there was stunning. Just yeah. the, there's, yeah, it's very rural and quiet, but some gorgeous, you know, climbs and farms. Yeah. Um, and I've done a little bit of riding down in kind of Upper Valley, you know, outside of Woodstock and where my yeah. wife grew up in Reading. Again, it's just so much different. It's so much steeper. You know, you'll get the same elevation for distance as you would up here, but in a much steeper fashion. You know, the climbs yeah. are shorter and steeper, and here they're kind of longer and gradual. Um, I mean, I probably like the roads around us the most because I, <laughs> I can get to kind of all these different areas. You know, I'm also close enough to New Hampshire. I can go go across the river, and it changes completely once you go across the river. Yeah. Um, but I like the kind of the more open, fast landscapes versus the the short, punchy stuff. So, yeah, we're lucky we got a house up yeah. up this way because yeah. I mean the the, the roads like that home. I ride. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, where can people find you on social media? Where can people find your podcast? And once again, what is it called? And uh, that's it. And anything else you want to plug, feel free. Yeah, I have a Twitter. I don't really use it. Um, <laughs> that is the Boz ninety one. I'm more active on Instagram, and I think it's just Ian underscore Boswell okay. on Instagram. And the podcast is Breakfast with Boz, and you can find it on any podcast platform. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all nine. All of them. Awesome. Yeah. All right, dude. Thank you. Thank you. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode of the In Boswell. Thank you to Blizz Eyewear um, and Rootworks Bags for sponsoring this episode of the show. Talk to you guys soon. Um, next week, you got Claire and Sarah. Talk to you then, I guess. Is that what I'm supposed to say now? Yeah. Talk to you guys then. Bye.